You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. Today we're moving on with our, our Revelation series. And I really didn't know what this one was going to be until I did it at 8.30. Let me just tell you guys, if you came in here sensitive, you're in for a rough morning. Uh, Revelation chapter 2 is difficult. And there's no way to get around the difficulty. Uh, we've just kind of got to go through it. Uh, my hope is that what you hear is conviction, not condemnation. Because I think that's what uh, John and I think that's what God would want us to hear. But when a big part of our relationship with God is is lived out through our relationship with the local church. Yes, you can be a Christian without church, but that's not a biblical, that's not a biblical Christianity. A biblical Christianity is living out this one another thing through the local church. All these New Testament commands about love one another, serve one another, uh, all these one another's were meant to be lived out inside of a local church. That's how it works. And so when we talk about church, I think too many of us, and, and I'm willing to bet all of you at one point have looked for a church. The reason I'm willing to bet that is because you're here. So that seems like a fair bet, right? You found a church. But most of the time, and I've done this and you've done this, when we're looking for a church, we're normally looking for the church we want, right? And we're like, you know, what kind of student program do you have? You know, am I going to like the sermons? How's the music? Blah, blah. We're looking for things that we want in a church. In Revelation chapter 2, I think what we're going to see is, for many of us, we've been asking the wrong question. We shouldn't be coming to church saying, is this the church I want? We should be going to church saying, is this the church God wants me to build? Because I, th I think what we're going to see is, 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 I know it's important to you that you have the church you want, but God has a church that he wants. And your role in life is not to run around until you find the church you want. Your role in life is to build the church that God wants. And each one of you play a role in that. And every single person in the room is just as important as everyone else in the room. And every part of the body matters. And everyone has a role. So my hope is over the next two weeks, what we do, because we're, we're going to be in the church letters for the next two weeks. My hope is that as we go through this, you are asking yourself over and over, am I doing my job? Not is my neighbor doing their job. Am I doing my job here to build the church that God wants? Because I believe that's the question that really matters. And so this week we're in Revelation chapter 2. I'll get there in just a minute. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. We'll be in. If you don't have your Bible, man, I really encourage you bring it next week. Because you want to highlight and underline all that kind of stuff. But this week we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to leave the throne room. Last week, by the way, last week was incredible. Um, in each service sort of built... By the 11.30, it was like there was this, this complete uh, let go, and it, I've never seen anything. It was, it was so gorgeous. But we're leaving the throne room. We're leaving the throne room this week, and we're coming back to earth for a minute. And then after, uh, we'll do two weeks on earth, and then we'll go back to the throne room. But there's this pattern that John follows as he writes these letters to the churches. Remember, the whole book of Revelation is written to the seven churches in Asia. Now, it's written for us, but it's not written to us. So we, we remember that and we keep that in mind. But he's going to address each church individually and he's going to follow a pattern. He's going to start by addressing the angel of the church. Now, we're not really sure if this is a literal angel, like a guardian angel of the church, or if it's like the overseer or the pastor of the church. I tend to believe that when he says the angel of the church, he's talking about the pastor. <laughs> You're welcome to your opinion. But I think it's pretty obvious. Um, 
So uh, it could be an angel or the pastor. I tend to think it's the pastor. So, but he's, he's going to address the angel of the church. Then he's going to compliment where he can. He's going he's to commend on some things going well where that's possible. And then he's going to critique. And uh, sometimes there's no compliment at all. There's only critique. And sometimes there's no critique, only compliment. And then he's going to come back and say, here's a promise for those who will obey me. Here's a promise for the church that will do what I'm telling. And you guys must remember as we're going through this, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about the staff. We're not talking about the building. We're talking about you. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church together. And we are only as strong as we are strong. And that means each one of us. And so whatever he's taking, whatever he's saying, compliment, critique, whatever, you should hear and you should first internalize it. Am I doing my job? And then you should say, am I doing the part to help this place? First, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Then am I doing my part to help this place be what it's supposed to be? So what we're going to do is, we're gonna, I, can, I don't have time to go through every detail of every letter, but I would encourage you guys to go back and read chapter 2 after I outline it for you. We're going to do a little context because context matters. And then we're going to talk about the critiques, the compliments, and the promise. So let's start with the church at Ephesus. Um, when you guys think of a church in ancient Bible times, do you think of a massive, huge city? I don't. I think of a tiny, I always think of like Sardis, or like a really, really small town, right? Maybe even East End, but smaller. Ephesus had around 250,000 people living there. It's a big, big city. 250,000 people. Um, they, they all worshiped this goddess. Uh, her name was Artemis or Diana in Latin. She was the fertility goddess which probably explains the population. And so <laughs> Paul had planted a church in Ephesus like 30 or 40 years before this book of the Bible was before the, the letter from Revelation was written to them. So Paul plants this church, then he leaves, and then 30 or 40 years later, John is writing a letter back to this church. That's what we're going to read now. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the pastor of the church in Ephesus, write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Remember, the seven stars, that's either the angel or the pastor, and the seven golden lampstands, those are the churches. These are the words of him who walks among his people and among his church. I know your deeds. I know of your hard work and perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and you found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardship in my name, and you have not grown weary. Okay, so when Paul plants this church in Ephesus, he writes them a letter later on saying, hey, guys, listen, people are going to come among you, and they're going to try to deceive you. False prophets are going to come among you, and they're going to try to deceive you. And so apparently they had listened to that, and they had been very aware, and they were aware of false prophets, and they had tested people. And, made, and this is what I say, guys, test what I'm saying. You should always test what your pastor is saying. You should test with the leadership. Does what we're saying look like what the Bible is saying? Is there fruit from what's happening in this place? Blindly following people is not really a good idea unless you want to end up in a little, you know, weird room drinking Kool-Aid. You test things, and you think about things, and you test things inside of community with other people. And so they were testing things, and it seemed like that they were really kind of trying to root out false doctrine. And guys, we have entire denominations right now dividing over false doctrine. We have entire massive groups of churches splitting 
because what's happening is some parts of the church are trying to become more like the world and they're assimilating with the town around them instead of believing that the town around them should end up looking like the church. You have massive groups of people where what they've realized is in order to attract people into this building, we must sound like the people we want to attract. And so they're changing and they're they're preaching false gospels and they're watering down the truth in order to grow their churches. And so we're seeing that. And he's, he's commending this church saying, guys, you're not doing that and I'm proud of you. Then in verse four, he says this, yet I hold this against you. You have, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Man, I, almost every time I read this passage, that verse grabs my heart. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Do you guys remember what it was like when you first fell in love with Jesus? Remember how desperate you were? How, how man, you, you would do anything for him. This church Above all things, when we meet together, whether it's on Sunday or Wednesday or Thursday or it doesn't, when we meet together, this place must be a reflection of the love we have for Jesus Christ. It matters more than our programs. It matters more than the music. It matters more than the message. It matters more than what's going on in students. What matters the most is that what happens in this room is a reflection of the love that we have for Jesus Christ. And if we're not doing that, then this letter's to us. And so my question to you becomes, what have you done this week to prepare for this place to be a reflection of the love you have for Christ? What have you done? What did you do this morning to prepare to make this place? Did you walk in and speak to anybody? Did you go out of your way to make someone feel welcome in this place? Because the way we love God is by loving each other. And one of the things that embarrasses me the most, and I've seen it on social media a couple of times, is where someone will post and say, I showed up at Grace Church and no one spoke to me. Now, sometimes by no one, they mean less than seven people. And they're just being a curmudgeon. I know because some of those people I personally spoke to, and I was like, I talked to you. (laughs) But there are times, and maybe it happened to you today, where you walked in this place and nobody talked to you. Or maybe the only people who talked to you were people who were paid to talk to you, right? If that happened to you today, I'm sorry, but you have a choice of what to do with that. You can either help us fix it, you can build the place God wants us to be, or you can keep looking for the place you want. You got a choice. My hope is that all of you see the job of speaking to other people as your job, It's not the job of the paid staff to make people feel welcome in this place. It's your job. And if you don't feel welcome here, make it a higher job that you will make sure no one has ever felt like you felt. And that is how we will build a place that reflects the love of God. And I get it. You came in here with problems and issues. I know there are things going on in your life, but those things are secondary to serving God in this room today. What else have you done to prepare? Did you you read the Bible with your family at all this week? Did you worship? Did you pray? Or did you just kind of show up hoping that I would inspire you with my witty stories and classy shirts? <laughs> I mean, what are we doing to prepare to love God together in this place? Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to prepare ourselves. And the truth is a lot of people will show up at church. A lot of people will show up. Very few people will show up and purposely prepare because more people in the American church are in love with the experience than they are with God. And that's the truth. If we show up week after week after week after week and we've done no preparation and we bring nothing to the table, then you're in love with the experience of church, not the God who gave his life for it. 
And if you're upset about that, it's John who said it, not me. So take it up with the Bible. It's our call. It's our duty. It's our obligation to prepare. And when we're in this place with the way you worship and the way you pray and the way you speak and the way you give and the way you live, everything must be a reflection of your love for God above all things. Amen? All right. Revelation 2.7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He says, all right, for the one who's victorious in this, what Adam and Eve didn't get, I will give you. I'll give you the tree of life. Like, you will feast with me. You will get what they didn't get in the garden if you will elevate my ways over your ways. And the word victory, he uses a military term. The word victory, he uses a military term, meaning sometimes you have to fight for this place to be what, you, what God wants it to be. Sometimes you can't just come to church and show up. Sometimes you really have to, how many of you have ever tried to come to church and connect and it didn't work? Honestly, how many of you, raise your hand, be honest, me too. I remember going to a church in Memphis, Tennessee, I'd just gone through a divorce. And so I did what everyone did. I was like, man, I guess I better go to church. It's time to get my life together. And so I'm sitting in this church by myself in Memphis, Tennessee, and I had the hardest time connecting with people. You know what I realized I had to do? Fight for it. Fight for it the way I would fight for anything else. Fight for it the way I would fight for anything else in my life. I had to go to war to make that place special. And I had to, be, I had, I had to fight for the connection. Victorious victory is for those people who come here and fight and who strain and strive. How would you like to go to war with someone who only shows up to every third battle? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? You're in a trench hole, you're in a foxhole, and you've been preparing, man, and you've, got, you, you've been working all week. Even you, You're in the guy beside you, you're like, hey, man, um, listen, I, I showed up a little late, and I've only really, uh, <laughs> normally I don't show up because it was raining. It was raining. I wanted to be here the other day, but it was raining. I mean, wouldn't you kind of be like, man, you go to another foxhole. I, I need somebody with me who's prepared to fight. And again, don't hear this as condemnation. Hear this as conviction. If we believe that the church is the bride of Christ, if we believe that this place is worth fighting, if we believe that somehow something mysterious, then we should have a life somewhat devoted to God through this place. And that means as often as you possibly can. I know things come up, but do they come up three times a month? I don't know. All right, next, Smyrna. Y'all couldn't wait for me to get done with that one. Smyrna, <laughs> I couldn't wait to get done with that one. Uh, Smyrna was a famous port city. This city was famous for emperor worship. In this city, th guys, this is the coolest part of the message today. In this city, if you did not worship the emperor, they would take your food, they would take your job, and they might even take your life. That's how, that's how serious it was in the city of Smyrna. And so into this city, this letter is written, Revelation 2.8. To the angel in the church of Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they're Jews and they're not. They're the synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're going to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Isn't that gorgeous? By the way, there's absolutely no critique for this church. The church at Smyrna, there's only commendation. 
There's only thank you that you have let nothing come between you and devotion to Christ through the local church. The people in the town of Smyrna believed that the local church was so important to them that they would actually sacrifice to be part of it. And they could have been with God on their own. Right, yeah, guys, I, I'm a hunter. Y'all know this is hunting season. You know how many times I've sat in the deer stand and told somebody, no, I'm still at church. I'm still having church. I'm pastoring the squirrels or whatever, right? I mean, it's easy for us to go, I don't really need church because I'm at church. Where, that, not according to the Bible. In Smyrna, they actually believed that they were called to gather together and be seen doing it no matter what it cost them. There's a guy from the church at Smyrna, and this was written in Roman history, not in the Bible. His name was Polycarp, and this may be the coolest story I've ever read. Polycarp was the bishop of the church at Smyrna. And remember, this is not written in the Bible, so any of you are in here who are like, I don't believe what the Bible says, this is written in the Bible. This is Roman historians who were there. And Polycarp was the bishop of the church at Smyrna, so he was the angel of the church or the head of the church at Smyrna. And the Roman officials came to him one day and said, all right, you got to quit talking about this Jesus guy. you got to worship the emperor. And Polycarp said, no, I won't. They came back and said, you've got to worship the emperor or we're going to feed you to the beasts. And he said, then so be it. They came back to him again and said, Polycarp, if you don't worship the emperor, we're going to burn you alive. And so Polycarp said, then that's what must happen. And so one day they're taking Polycarp to be burned alive in front of the whole city. And remember, guys, this is from Roman historians. They're watching this. And before they burn Polycarp alive, they said, do you have any last words? These are the last words of Polycarp before he's burned alive for his refusal to, because he won't stop going to church and talking about Jesus. He says this. He, set, he shuts his eyes and he says, Father of your beloved and blessed son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the knowledge of you, I bless you that you have counted me worthy of this day and hour that I might be in the number of martyrs among these, may I be received before you today as a rich and acceptable sacrifice as you have beforehand prepared and revealed. Wherefore, I praise you for everything. I bless you. I glorify you through the eternal high priest, Jesus Christ, your beloved son, through whom which him in the Holy Spirit be glory both now and forever and in the ages to come. Amen. He shut his eyes. They lit him on fire and they burned him alive in front of the city. The Roman historians who watched Polycarp burn, the pagans who watched him burn alive said this, the smell of his body wasn't like flesh burning. It was like incense or, or bread baking. God offered Polycarp to himself as a holy and pleasing sacrifice. How gorgeous is that? And so all I would say is this, Next time it's raining and you can't make it, you remember that one day you and I will meet Polycarp in heaven. And we will tell him why we refuse to devote ourselves to Christ through the local church. Revelation 2.11, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Guys, we will all die in this world. Raise your hand if you think you're going to live forever. Anybody? That's good. We're all dealing with reality here. We're all going to die. That's, that's today's happy message. We're all going to die. Um, some of you will really live. Some people will live extraordinary lives. For some people, I will, man, I wish Stoner was in here. I, I did his uh, grandma's funeral. 
And I stood at that woman's funeral and I told of a woman who changed the world. She was incredible. Um, my, my father, he's not in here, so I can say this. My father will die one day. And I will stand at my daddy's funeral and I will tell the story of a man who changed the world. What will they say when you die? For those of us who truly live, there will be no death. Death will have no sting over us. Sherry Wilcox, many of y'all know Sherry Wilcox, an undeniable servant of God, okay? This place has so many people in it because Sherry invited 97% of you. When she dies, she's always like, I want you to have a party. And you know what? We should. Uh, We're going to prop her up here behind the jukebox and just (laughs) let it rip because by God, she's earned it. What will they say? about me and about you. Pergamum. This is the next church. Uh, this is a big city, another big city. And in Pergamum, there's a, there's a big altar to Zeus in the middle of it. And Zeus is seated at this altar. And so that's why they say this is the city where Satan has his throne, because there's a big statue of Zeus sitting at a, at a big throne in Pergamum. And so there, there was a... Um, a uh, it was, this was just... This city is like... The only thing I can think about is Vegas on the worst of Vegas. Now, this was Sin City, okay? This city is crazy. All sorts of gods. Uh, a guy named Antipas was martyred in this city. Just anything goes in Pergamum. In Revelation chapter 2, 12, we see the letter to, the, to Pergamum. And it says, To the angel of the church at Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Remember, what's that mean? Sharp double-edged sword. The word of God. I know where you live. Where Satan has his throne, that's the Zeus thing. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even on the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who, who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites into sin, to eat food sacrificed by idols and commit sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you, and I will fight against you with a sword from my mouth. I get a lot of mail here, guys. I get a lot of mail at church. If I ever get a letter from Jesus that says, repent, or I'm coming to fight against your church with a sword from my mouth, I'm probably going to listen. But he's saying, you guys are doing some good things, but I, there's more. You're allowing people, you're allowing people to water down the truth in that place. You're sacrificing You're trying to blend in with the community instead of looking different. I remember, guys, when I first came to Grace, like if Jesus would have written me a letter at that point in time, this is what he would have said. Because I remember being so excited about like, first of all, I had no business being a pastor. Uh, I'm marginally qualified now then. You remember, oh, I was out there, right? Like no business being a pastor. And I just remember we had created this place where people would say things like, man, I love Grace. Like they don't expect anything from you. Like, you can go to that church, and you can do whatever you want. You can go to that church, and you can be whoever you want to be. And then I remember one time we passed offering buckets, and everyone got mad. They're like, what? We loved, this was the place that didn't do offering. That's why we liked it so much. And what people were really saying and what I was feeding off of was, grace is a place that wants nothing from you. You can just show up and never really give your full life to Jesus Christ. You can have fun. You can hear good music. You can see a funny pastor. And you'll never really be held accountable for anything. And I was like, let me be a dancing monkey for the world. I've repented so many times of that. And I am so thankful that is no longer who we are. God decided to sustain this place in spite of my ignorance. 
in spite of my need to please you, in spite of my need to be loved by people, God sustain this place. And today, this is a place where death happens. All are still welcome. And I pray to God we always have fun here. I don't want this to be angry everyone's going to hell church because that's not who we are, right? Repent every Sunday. I can't do that. $9 in the offering plate, you left. $50 when you get home. I can't, that's not this place, okay? Can't do that. But I pray to God that we never have fun at the expense of telling the truth. There must be both. This must be a place where everyone feels welcome. Come as you are. Come as you are. This is not a place that, that denies or excludes sinners. But be expected to be transformed. Don't stay as you are. Get into deep relationships. Be pastor to. Get to know people. Be someone who came in one way and left better. Listen, it's not, if I come up here and my zipper's down and nobody tells me, that's not grace. That's mean. If everyone in the church is walking around with their zipper down and, you know, a boogie on their face and no one's ever having honest conversations, then we're not doing anyone any favors. We have to have the kind of relationship where you can say, hey, bro, I'm glad you're here, man. Zipper's down. <laughs> you still got some things in your life we need to work through. If you're walking towards a cliff and no one in this church stops you, then this church hasn't done you any favors at all. This must be a place where we hold tight to the truth. We don't become like the world around us to win the world. We become like Jesus Christ to win the world. And the people who come in this room, they come dirty and they experience a place that helps them get clean. And I'm thankful to God that that's not how we started, but that's what we're becoming uh, because God is good. Um, Revelation 2.20. Never though, this is a good one, by the way. Are we do this one yet? Hold on, let me see where we are. Where are we in this one? 17. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Never mind. So let's do Thyatira now. Okay, Thyatira. Smaller city. Um, skipping 17. It's basically whoever does this, you get a clean white stone and some manna. It means God's going to take care of you. Thyatira is the next. This is a smaller church. This is blue collar. Uh, this is like Detroit, Michigan, okay? If y'all can picture Detroit, very unionized. Everyone in Thyatira was a member of a trade guild, uh, meaning they had to be part of the guild in order to get their paycheck. The guilds all had gods. If you weren't in the guild, you didn't get your paycheck. And so if you worship Jesus, you couldn't be in a guild and you couldn't get your paycheck. So Revelation 2.18, it says this. To the angel of the church at Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire. What's that mean? Y'all remember what that means? It penetrates. Yes, he sees the truth. It doesn't mean fireballs are shooting out of his eyeballs. It means he sees the truth. And whose feet are like burnished bronze. Anyone remember that one? Judgment. The altar. He's coming with judgment. So he sees the truth and he's coming with judgment. You think this church is about to get a pleasant letter? I'm the God who sees the truth and I'm coming with judgment. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, and your service. This is my favorite compliment in the whole book. And I know that you're now doing more than you did at first. Is that a compliment? If, you say, if my wife says, hey, I know you're doing more than you used to, that's not really a compliment to me. It's like when I apologize to you by saying, hey, listen, I'm sorry that you're upset. Is that a real apology? I know you're doing more than you used to do. That's almost like placating somebody, isn't it? And then, and then he goes on after he says, I know you're doing more than you used to. And he says in Revelation 2.20, nevertheless, I see through everything because my eyes are penetrating. And I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, eating of food, sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality and she's unwilling so I'm going to cast her into a bed of sufferings. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent. 
I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches hearts and minds, and I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. Wow. Can you imagine if we put that on our church website? <laughs> Made t-shirts? Searching your heart. Golly, that's rough, man. But it's like, and listen, I, I don't know that Jezebel in this church was an actual person. I think he's referring to Jezebel from the Old Testament, who was a prostitute. And by prostituting yourself, what he's saying is you're aligning yourself with the morality of the world, not my morality. Again, this goes back to you're sacrificing, you're watering down the truth, you're tolerating sin. And this is a difficult rebuke. But even in the rebuke, you hear over and over him saying, I'm, repent, come back to me. I'm giving you time to repent. But there will be a time when Jesus lets you walk away. I say this all the time to the band. Like All of our songs are like, you know, Jesus is running after me and he never lets go. He, he loves me. I wish one song said, eventually I will let you go because you will not listen to me. Who wants to sing that song? Nobody. But Jesus is not like this needy ex-boyfriend who's chasing you around all the time because he's incomplete without you. He's the king of the world, and he offers you a position in his body. But if you don't want it, he won't beg you to take it. And I think the critique here is, and this is, this is the way I read it for me, and maybe you hear it different, but if I allow unholiness to remain in my life unchecked, then eventually I'm going to experience some very difficult times I stand in front of God. You can come to church every week. You can polish up your shirt, your little church shoes and your church shirt and say everything's fine. But if you are allowing unholiness, sin, to remain in your life and you're not dealing with it, I think then this letter has a word for you. The only way this church becomes strong is if the people in this church pursue holiness, even when pursuing holiness hurts. And if you're saying, well, oh, is this just a church for perfect people? Absolutely not. It's the church for imperfect people who pursue a life of perfection. And there's a big difference there. But we can't hide by, you know how many times I've said, and you said, well, I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I can't be perfect. That is the biggest excuse to not pursue holiness. God demands that we pursue holiness. And no, you may never, ever experience true holiness until you stand face to face with Christ. But that's not a reason to ignore the sin in your life. And so what can you do to make this place the church God wants it to be? And here, I even think this is more effective than going on Facebook and dealing with other people's sins. Deal with your sin. Pride? Anyone dealing with pride? Lust? Greed? Racism? What, what sin are you dealing with? If you want to make this the place God wants it to be, deal with it. Repent of it and turn back to God. Revelation 2, 26, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. And that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them into pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Y'all know what the morning star is? This is, what, this is the prize for the church who will hold strong. And by the church, I mean you. Remember, first we deal with this in our, in our own self. For the person, for the church who will pursue holiness, who will fight for each other, who will make church a priority, who will make loving God through this place, who will, who will actually make their lives revolve around the glory of God. For the person who will do that, Jesus will give a prize, and the prize will be the morning star. What do you think the morning star is? Jesus. What will be our prize if we live as the church God called us to be? Jesus, that Jesus will reveal himself to the world through us. 
that this will be a church where every need is met because the entire place revolves around meeting the needs of the kingdom. It'll be a place where you experience deep connection and life change. It'll be a place where people come in dirty, man, all sorts of people, just like we all were, right, before we got so Jesus and churchy, right? It'll be a place where sinners come in. They flock to get in this place, not because they want to stay in their sin, but because they want to live clean. It'll be a place where worship is so apparent and so real and so alive that the world will not be able to deny that Christ rose from the grave. It'll be a place where you'll come in every single week, every single week. You will come in hurting and with your own needs and your own situations, but you'll come in here and you won't be able to wait to give God everything you've got because in this place you believe that you came to give him, not just to consume. If we will become, and we are becoming, but if we will continue to become the church that God wants, then this will be the church God wants to use to change the world. And it's not the staff's job to do this. It's your job. So maybe what we all do this week in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of all of our schedules, maybe this week we take a little time to prepare for next week. Maybe you missed the mark this week. Maybe you were so consumed with your own pain and your own difficulties that you missed the mark this week. What would happen if you went home today and instead of going to the cafe and saying, oh, he's so mean, I can't stand his sermons or whatever, I didn't like his shirt, which this is flannel, it's awesome, got this mold navy. But like, what would happen if we all went home and committed to coming back in here next week, prepared to do our part to make this the church God wants? I don't know, but I'm willing to give it a try. How about you? If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.